Welcome to the NICU Dad Podcast, a podcast for NICU dads by NICU dads. I'm Alex Zavala, a father to two preemie girls, Mia, who was born at 30 weeks, and Emerson, who was born at 27 weeks. Combined, my wife Jen and I both spent over 100 days in the NICU. After my last NICU experience, I started the NICU Dad. I did this to try and fill the gap of information and support that was lacking for NICU dads. Be sure and check out thenicudad.com and hopefully you will find it a useful resource. In this podcast, we will cover many topics that NICU parents face, but from the NICU dad's perspective. Topics such as premature birth, bereavement, PTSD, and many others. These dads who you'll hear share their stories in hope of letting other NICU dads know they are not alone. Many NICU families had never heard the phrase neonatal intensive care unit until they found themselves in one with their very own preterm baby. Often, preemies are born early with no warning, giving their families little time to prepare for the stress and trauma the NICU environment can bring with it. While NICU dads are not the ones giving birth, the NICU experience can still cause them just as much anxiety and have lasting effects. Navigating how to handle those emotions thrust on you is, is difficult to say the least. Here to talk with us about his own NICU experience is Mike Kelly. Mike is the father of two children, both born preterm. He is a certified public accountant and managing partner at Wheeler, Fairman and Kelly in Austin, Texas. He's an alumni member of the Young Men's Business League and graduate of the University of Michigan. He is also a card-carrying member of the Rat Fan Club. He can recite every line of Star Wars and is best at eliciting eye rolls from his family with lame dad jokes. Today's guest is Michael Kelly. And you may have heard of his wife, Kelly Kelly, who is the founder and CEO of Hand to Hold. Uh, Michael, just want to welcome you to today's episode, and uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. And uh, sharing your story with us. Uh, let's just get it started, and um, just kind of let us know, um, describe to us your uh, NICU journey and how it started. I believe uh, you had two NICU babies. Correct. And uh, your oldest is Jackson. That's right. And what was that like? How did that start off? Were you guys already high risk or? We were not high risk. Um, our journey started with me sitting at the dinner table alone, waiting for my wife to come home from work. And at six o'clock, I'm in my softball uniform, ready to go play a game. And when she got to the house, uh, she looked at me and just started crying. And I knew something was terribly wrong. So... We called our parents, our our mothers. Um, I forget which. I think it was my mother who was available. Her mother was still traveling back from vacation. And my mom asked us some questions. And uh, Kelly was bleeding at the time. So we were told to call 911 immediately, which we did. Um, when, nine, when the ambulance arrived, they checked the baby's heartbeat. And it was a healthy 120 beats per minute. And they started packing up and said, false alarm, good to go. And I said, no, uh, there's something very wrong here. I could just feel it. And so I, I insisted that they take her in the ambulance. And by the time we got to the hospital, which was about 20 minutes later, they had called ahead in the ambulance and said, she's in labor. So um, I'm following in my truck behind them. Uh, you know, there it, it was it was harrowing. It was it was tough. But uh, we get there. They take Kelly into a uh, dimly lit 
room, examination room, and the nurse broke her water and then said, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. To which I responded with uh, disbelief and started to run around the halls looking for someone to help, screaming for help, you know, that kind of a thing. And uh, at the time, the hospital was very... uh, it was not busy at all. It seemed like it was a ghost town is the best way to describe it. And pretty soon there were 15 people, I counted them, um, that came out of nowhere seemingly and went to work saving our son. And that was our, that was our prep for the NICU. Uh, along the way, um, you know, I didn't know what a NICU was. And the, the doctor explained to me that there's a 50-50 chance of survival and if he survives there's a 50-50 chance that there will be something drastically wrong or uh, some sort of challenge that we have to deal with and I said so you're telling me we got a 25% chance that everything's (laughs) going to be okay and he said not quite but uh, I said why are you telling me this and he said because I need to know what to do I said go to work do what you can do the best that you can and they did Um, they did a great job getting him stabilized Um, but from the time that I was sitting at my table to the time he was born was exactly 93 minutes Mm. and everything happened very very quickly Um, I recall being put into scrubs uh, when they decided that they were going to do emergency c-section and that was to distract me I'm sure because as soon as they were ready to uh, begin the operation I was taken out of the room and uh, just left on my own uh, in a room in scrubs in total shock and disbelief I did not know what was happening it seemed like a really bad dream now that moment I just want to focus on that moment real quick just because um, talking to a lot of NICU dads and I know for myself um, not many people <clears throat> understand or can even fathom what that moment is like to be in those scrubs, whether it's before you walk into the operating room um, or even like in your case, them having you sit by yourself. What was that moment like for you? I know what it was like for me. Um, What were some of the thoughts that were going through your head? Well, I thought I was going to lose both my wife and my child and that I was going to be alone. Um, it was very scary, uh, very lonely, um, in complete disbelief and shock. And there's some physical attributes that go along with that. You know, your, your heart's racing, your palms are sweaty, uh, the room gets a little darker and it's just, you just cannot believe that this is it feels like a bad dream that's the best way to explain it yeah. it just does not feel like real life um, the first family member to come up to the hospital was my sister-in-law and she came in and she looked at me and said are you all right and I said no I'm not all right and normally I would say yeah I'm, I'm okay mm-hmm. uh, but I was not all right and I just ha- remember having my hands on top of my head my head was down and I was like what is going on and but from there I mean I didn't have a whole lot of time because 
as soon as they took him out of um, Kelly, I got they they pulled me back in, not totally all the way in, but I got to see him. And from what from where I stood, he did not look like he was alive. He mm-hmm. just looked like a, a wet, limp baby bird. Um, and there was there was no life in him. He wasn't screaming. He wasn't wiggling. His his arms were just hanging from the side. And I thought it was over. And I said, "Is he alive?" Kind of thinking, you know, that he's not. And they said, "Yeah." And I remember the, the next question I said it was, "Is it a boy or girl?" Because <laughs> we didn't know at the time. Yeah. And they said it's a boy. And so I had a little bit of hope at that moment, uh, but I was still scared to death and uh, did not know what was going to happen next. I, like I said, I didn't know anything about what we were about to go into. Yeah. So Jackson is born. Um, I guess the next thing now is Kelly needs to recover. Yes. And uh, what was that like, having the baby in the NICU now? Your wife is having to go and recover from this major surgery. Yeah. What was that like? Um, Well, Kelly, after the fact, told me that she does not remember much of the first week and certainly none of the first two to three days. But she was still recovering when I got to see Jackson for the first time. So I was alone in there, and it was starting to get later because, like I said, he was born at 733, and it took a while for them to get him situated in the NICU and to allow me in. Um, but I do remember it being late. And so I'm in there. It's it's after midnight. And you know, they told me to go home, um, but I, I didn't want to go home. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to see him. And um, it was you know, I sat by his bedside. And, uh, you know, the nurse was being very nice and talking to me, telling me what I needed to do and not do, you know, the, you know, the scrubbing in process and all that stuff. But, um, it was, it it was very lonely. It felt like Jackson and me against the world. And I'm watching, I'm looking at him, he's under saran wrap and I'm thinking we're in a world-class facility (laughs) and they're warming him with saran wrap. Uh, Is this right? But, uh, it was, it was tough. It was real tough. So that first day uh, is usually one of the longest for Nikki dads. Yes. Uh, when did that day end for you? Well, that day ended about four in the morning, I would say. Um, I I looked pitiful. I must have looked pitiful because the nurse that was on uh, duty for Jackson that night saw me and said come here come with me and mind you this is pre-HIPAA but she walked me around the NICU and showed me it was just the two of us and a bunch of babies and you know other nurses but um, I was the only parent there so she walked me around and and showed me the different bays and without telling me much about each kid she just said you know these are kids that are a little further along and you know then we got that to all the way to step down and that was, you know, the step before you get to go home. Mm-hmm. So I recall during that tour, um, Kelly's in bed and she's recovering and she hasn't seen any of this yet. But I just re- recall popping in my head. I said, okay, 
So this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be helping people like me who uh, have had this experience, and I know my wife is going to do something with this, and she did eventually. That's um, incredible. But, uh, yeah, uh, driving home alone at 3.30 in the morning, only place open was Whataburger. Uh, stopped and had a lonely cheeseburger with myself <laughs> and just could not believe what was happening. Yeah. And, and that first day is, is a tough one. And every day was, it felt like every day was a week to me. The first week was, every day was a week because um, I was told to just live day by day. And uh, that's what I did. So. Now that first week, mm-hmm. um, how tough was that first week? It was very difficult um, getting used to new surroundings getting used to new people, new rules, um, trying to interact with Jackson without hurting him. Um, not, I was told not to talk too loudly, don't touch him too much. Um, so I would put my pinky out and he would grab my pinky and his hand wouldn't even fit around my pinky. It was so small. Um, and I would just sit there and whisper to him and sing quietly to him. And just so he'd hear my voice, and I, I did know that that would help. Uh, that the nurses said you can talk to him, just don't be loud, don't yeah. make any startling noises. And um, my routine, uh, I was working. I'm I'm an accountant, and I had worked downtown, so every day my routine was to wake up as early as possible, as early as the nurse would take the phone call. I would wake up, and. I would call and get a uh, report on him the night before. And then before work, I would show up to see him. At lunch, I would take a 20-minute break and go see him. And then after work, I would go to the NICU and, and spend as much time with him as I could. And then I would repeat the whole thing over again 105 times. And I didn't miss a day. Um, I didn't go three times a day every day, but that was the normal. But that first week was rough because Jackson had to have a surgery uh, for a PDA, a patent ductus arteriosus. Um, And that was on day five. But by then, we were so stressed out and so, um, I don't know, just exhausted from the whole experience. And it it felt like it, you know, it felt like five weeks had gone by and it was only five days. My parents were in town and my uh, in-laws were in town and we went to my house and cooked a steak dinner out you know, on the barbecue grill and had some beers and got to celebrate a little bit because he had gone through the surgery and it was a success and that was our first big hurdle that we yeah. cleared and we allowed ourselves that moment of uh, real life instead of just being in the NICU in the zone um, and worrying all the time I'm, I'm a worrier so yeah. I spent a lot of time and energy doing that. That's uh, you've given me something to think about. It seems like we go in as warriors and come out as warriors. Yes, <laughs> yes, or semi at least. <laughs> yeah. So you guys. So now, I always talk about the Nikki Dad Shuffle, and that's when you have mom recovering or in one room, baby in the NICU, and then everything else. Mm-hmm. What was that like for you, especially, you know, 
I guess during that first week, how long what, did it take for her to recover? And, you know, were there any other surgeries that, that came up? Or Yes. Um, not in the first week, though. Jackson had um, a hernia operation later on, mm-hmm. uh, closer to discharge. Okay. Um, so we had to deal with hernias for most of his stay, uh, double hernia. And um, the first week, though, you know, I... Looking back on things, this is something that I think dads might want to perk up to and, l- and listen to. I didn't really think about what Kelly was going through. I just thought that everything was okay with her and that I was the only one that was having a problem. Mm-hmm. And she said uh, later on that she didn't really bond with our son immediately. But I did. I was. It was like uh, a light switch had been flipped. Mm-hmm. When when I saw him and they said he's alive, I instantly was bonded with him. I can't explain it. It just happened. And for her, it took a little bit longer, which is normal. But she beats herself up for it because she didn't have that feeling. Um, but I didn't know this at the time. I didn't know this until years later when we were talking about it. Yeah. So when I would come in, I was excited that he was alive. I was excited. I had this Polaroid picture of him. And I was showing it to her, and she didn't even want to see it. You know, she was in that phase where it was too painful. Yeah. And um, so I'm excited on the one hand. I'm scared as I could be on the other hand. And she is recovering and not where I am at all. Mm-hmm. So it was hard, but we didn't realize how hard it was in the moment until later. Just uh, very stressful. But she... You know, after about two or three days, I think it is, I I may be off on this, but as soon as she could, she got in there and um, saw him and, you know, we couldn't touch him. We didn't, we weren't able to hold him for the first six weeks of his life, which I know now they do differently. They they do the kangaroo care earlier, Um, but we weren't able to really touch him other than having him hold our pinkies or, or maybe just gently tapping him on the back or on the, on the bottom. Uh, so she came in and saw him, did what she could. She talked to him, you know, she, she tried, but she wasn't, she wasn't there like I was, um, just different timing. Yeah. So yeah, it was a tough week. Very tough. And so now we go in that 105 days in, in the NICU, Mm -hmm. um, that grind you described your schedule for us mm-hmm. um did you find you where she wasn't where you were was there a catch-up oh yeah kind of she caught up pretty quickly but in the beginning she she really didn't want much to do with the whole thing mm-hmm. and i think that's instinct i think that her body was telling her that she either miscarried or, uh, you know, the baby didn't live. Um, I don't purport to be an expert in in female (laughs) anything. Uh, but it, it's, it seemed like a natural reaction to a traumatic situation. Um, but she caught on and caught up, uh, very quickly and became his primary caregiver, uh, very, you know, as quickly as we could. She was, uh, pumping breast milk, which I think helped to stabilize him and get him, uh, further down the road uh, quicker, or at least hold on while his respirators um, 
would help him to to grow. Um, so she was a an amazing. Uh, she was pumping religiously, and um, so she would have to do all that. You know, pump and then store it. We'd have to go into the NICU and store it, freeze it, and all that because he couldn't drink as much as she was producing. Mm-hmm. And we were saving as much as we could. We bought a deep freeze, the biggest one we could buy, and we filled it. I mean, every last square inch of that thing was filled. And we also gave some away to the mother's milk bank along the way because we knew he couldn't possibly use it all. Um, but, you know, she was doing what she could, and when the nurses would allow us to change a diaper or, you know, do the little sponge bath or whatever it was that needed done, um, she would be the first one to do it. And uh, so... I, I would watch her and then I would give it a try but uh, she was great that's awesome she was great so you guys go through 105 days with Jackson mm-hmm. and obviously nobody comes out unscathed you know mm-hmm. we deal with what we deal with but your story um, doesn't end there um, you guys get pregnant again mm-hmm. and are you now high risk on your second pregnancy? Yes. This, this is point. obviously so. Jackson, we're talking about what year? What? Two thousand. In two thousand. Yep. So now you guys are expecting. What year is this? Two thousand three. Two thousand three. All right. So are you high risk for this pregnancy now? Absolutely. Or? And Kelly had a cerclage uh, for the second pregnancy. Her uh, doctor said, "Don't worry. We'll do a cerclage. Everything will be great." Um, and we believed him until week 34 when Kelly's water broke at midnight uh, and in bed and she sat straight up in bed and said I think my water broke and I jumped up and I'm running around like a crazy man uh, because of our first experience and I'm thinking here we go again but um, Lauren was born six weeks early and she didn't need a lot of the same treatments that Jackson needed. However, she, because of the fact that Jackson was born so early and Jackson's blood type is O positive like mine and Lauren's blood type is O positive like mine, uh, Kelly is O negative. Uh, because Jackson was born so early, it created a problem for Lauren. And I don't understand how that works other than the, the blood mixed together uh, between Kelly and Lauren and there were some antibodies in there that were attacking her red blood cells her being Lauren and Lauren was severely jaundiced um, and was dying in in essence they needed to give her a blood transfusion and a drug called I think RBRG I could be wrong off on that Mm -hmm. But, um, but for that Lauren would have not made it and she looked like almost a full term, you know, from what I stand uh, with a one pounder, you know, she was born at nearly five pounds and, you know, she looked way bigger than all the other kids in the NICU. So um, that was a tough deal, but we were, I say only, we were only in the NICU for a week with her. And at that time I was in a bit of denial because she wasn't on the respirator and she was, you know, we kind of treated it as a, a reunion of sorts because all the same nurses were there same doctors mm-hmm. and uh, they knew us we knew them and it was fun to see them and talk about Jackson and, and where he's come but it got really scary when her jaundice wasn't getting better and 
she had to have that blood transfusion. And I remember standing there watching the machine, and I watched it dispense the entire transfusion over, I don't know, an hour, two hours, whatever it was. Uh, and just, it was hard. It was really hard. It, it reminded me of standing over my son, willing him to breathe, because he just decided he didn't want to breathe. Um, so, yeah, very difficult. So I want I want to kind of find out, one, that having a baby in the NICU already, first pregnancy, now you're pregnant again. During that pregnancy, before any complications or anything, so let's say, you know, at week 30, mm-hmm. were you, quote, unquote, normal? Absolutely. You know? Everything was textbook again. And, and so I think what they told us is, that she just has babies early. Yeah. I think the cerclage helped to not have her go into labor as soon. I mm-hmm. could be wrong, but there was there were no warning signs. There was no preeclampsia. There was no uh, nothing. It was everything was great. Yeah. Were your stress levels in that pregnancy like you know everything was kind of much better this of... time? Um, however, I was very sensitive to when the moment came, you know, the the stereotypical dad who freaks out uh, when it's time. Mm -hmm. But it's it's because, you know, when you're asleep and you get awakened at midnight uh, and you're early again, uh, that's that's just not do well for me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so you drove into the hospital and. Yeah, we drove. um, We drove that time. She did not have to take an ambulance that time. and I remember, to this day, Kelly gets on me about this, but I was kind of kind of getting angry with her, saying, let's go, let's go. And she said, it's okay, it's not a big deal, we got time. And um, by the time we got her into the car, she said, drive, <laughs> <You know? laughs> move it. Yeah. So we were screaming down I-35 here in Austin and uh, got to the hospital and uh, started all over again. But yeah. this time, it wasn't as life life and death it was uh, a little more normal Uh, I got to stay in the room this time for the Mm c-section and that went very quickly Um, it was amazingly fast I couldn't believe how fast they could do that so I got to be there when she was um, delivered which was nice I got to be with Kelly she was uh, conscious this Mm -hmm. time which was nice and it felt a little more normal but I'll tell you when Kelly got real upset was when when she left the hospital and we couldn't take our daughter with us. Mm-hmm. That made her really upset because she that was her goal was to have a baby where she could be wheeled out of the hospital yeah. with her baby oh, yeah. at the same time and didn't happen again. So I remember that being really tough for her. Yeah, that's I mean, that's a mother's dream. I mean, you know, um, my wife deals with the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um there's no pictures no. of you wheeling your baby no. out. <laughs> she would actually get angry with the mothers that had the balloons tied to the chair and everybody's there and it's a big deal. She got real jealous of that and yeah. didn't like seeing it. Yeah. yeah. I kind of resented the kids in the nursery as I walked by, saw these huge babies, and then I get to the NICU and they're all, you know, one pound, three pounds. That yeah. uh, yeah, was tough. Yeah, so... This was 2000 and 2003. Mm -hmm. Um, We're now in 2020. Um, What I do want to talk to you about um, is the perspective of a NICU dad 
who has not only gone through one NICU stay, but two. And I always tell everybody, it doesn't matter. It could be, you know, a year. It could be six months. It could be three days. You're in the club. Mm-hmm. You've experienced it. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's all the same almost. Mm-hmm. Um, what things have you seen from yourself that you identify uh, from going through this? And without listing, you know, everything that a NICU dad goes through. But what things do you see now that you've seen in these years out of the NICU that you still deal with now or, or experience through those years? Well, um, a lot's happened. Um, and I can tell you that I'm a person who's predisposed to general anxiety. And people have told me I'm a little tightly wound. Uh, I worry. I've got you know, I'm anxious and I've had panic attacks and, um, but before that, I remember it, my anxiety about key, I'm, you're always in the NICU. When you have a NICU baby, they're always a NICU baby. The first, uh, well, he's born in August and the first cold and flu season rolls around four months later and one month after we get him home. So RSV is on our minds, not just this year, but next year, because they told us we were in a two-year window. So there's just lots of anxiety about, um, you know, he went home with a heart monitor and five different medications that we had to administer. We became his nurses, and um, just the anxiety about that um, and trying to keep him safe and my daughter safe there was this just this tension, just this overall tension. And when you hang on to something that tightly for that long, it has an effect on your body. Um, so it, was, it wasn't until, oh, and one other thing is um, about a year after we got out of the NICU, Jackson had to go back for surgery again for his hernias. The her, one of the hernias had come loose. And when he went in for the surgery, I thought at first it was not going to be as big a deal. That was the hardest thing that I had done, uh, including the NICU, because I thought we were done. Yeah. I thought we were out. And the surgery went long, um, but it was a success. But it went long, and I just remember that feeling of dread and anxiety, waiting and waiting. And it, you know, it was what, a couple of hours or three hours, but, uh, to me, it felt like an eternity and and I'm holding my breath, waiting for the doctor to come out. So fast forward about 14 years after that, I needed surgery and I started having panic attacks and I started to really dread the surgery as it was coming closer and closer and it was a pretty routine shoulder surgery but I got so freaked out by it that I canceled the surgery and I waited another year and but right before I canceled the surgery I had a, a pretty major panic attack and I started having them more and more and one day I remember I, I went into the shower and for some reason that's when I do a lot of thinking uh, as I'm getting ready in the morning. But uh, the word surgery popped into my brain. I could see it. And all of a sudden, I started crying. 
and it all came out and I was like oh my gosh this is my surgery is reminding me of what Jackson went through and I got some counseling um, and I do take uh, anti-anxiety medicine now and and things are are more normal but I just could not believe how real it was and how right back in the NICU I was 14 years later it was like I had never left we were right back in that that war zone and this was um, how many years now? This was about 14 years, 14 years after that. So it was about five years ago from today. Wow. Yeah. And now currently um, Jackson and Lauren are doing what right now? Jackson uh, just returned to uh, his college where he's a freshman, starting his second semester there. Um, and Lauren is a junior playing volleyball for her school team junior and high school awesome that's incredible yeah and they're both they both have um they they get a's and b's they get good grades they're good kids um very proud of both of them and they both have had a lot of people working for them and with them to get where they are Uh, but they've done they've done the hard work but they've had a lot of help along the way um, what are some of the things that you've noticed um, with your kids just in general on do you see anything from being born preemie, uh, premature or or their NICU stays that you've noticed in your children, you know, these these years? Yeah, um, mostly what, it, what I think about are the processing delays. Everything's been a delay. Um, and some things haven't quite gotten there, but they're getting there. Um, you know, they, my son um, and my daughter both were, they had uh, some learning challenges, mm-hmm. but they overcame them. Um, my daughter had a visual processing, and I think probably some auditory processing delays. Uh, and when we were teaching her how to read, we didn't realize we thought she was dyslexic mm-hmm. and we took her to some uh, therapists and they said she's not dyslexic she's just not following the the normal path of reading so when you would read left to right top to bottom she would start in the middle of the line mm-hmm. and read to the end and then she would drop down and start at the right hand side and, and read the other way uh, stuff like that that we, the only way we knew that was they did pupil tracking for her to see what she was looking at. Wow. Um, so we've, we've been through as many therapies and um, that type of thing as, as were available for us at the time. My son had lots of sensory integration issues. Um, I do recall one time, you know, when he would supposedly act up, he wasn't really acting up. He was just acting out because of his sensory he needed a lot of input. He wasn't the type that didn't want to be touched. He wanted a lot of, you know, hands-on. And so he would go around and he would hit kids on the, the playground. And we'd say, you know, get on him. You can't do that. You can't you can't hit anybody. And so he'd say, okay. And then he'd go right back and he'd start hitting them again. And I remember pulling him aside and spanking him. And it didn't work. And I said to him at one point, I said, do you want me to spank you? <laughs> and he looked at me and he goes, yeah. And I said, okay, we need a new approach to this. Yeah. So um, that's when we learned about sensory, integ- 
sensory integration disorder, which I thought was, you know, not real. Um, But it is very real. So we've done, um, we did a lot of auditory therapy with him, um, the, the occupational therapy, and then with the sensory stuff, we did this brushing technique, which I don't know if you've heard of, but there are these little, uh, I guess, brushes that you would use to wash your fingernails. They're real soft, mm-hmm. and you brush their skin with it, and it doesn't feel like a brush. It just feels like pressure on the skin, and you, you brush down their arms and their legs and their back, and you do that three times a day um, along with other things, but... And then we also do joint compressions where we take their, their joints and kind of push them together and it releases certain chemicals in their brains. That is what they're, that's what they're striving for is this, I don't know if it's dopamine or, or what, but, um, you know, when you exercise and, or you're running and yeah. you get that, that yeah. so-called runner's high, that feeling of, uh, that's what they're going for. So, um, we did the brushing and Jackson's fine motor skills suffered. And to this day, he has a hard time with things. So, you know, he can do things now, but it took him a lot longer to do mm-hmm. that. And as a, as a first child, I didn't know that that was, that he was behind. You know, right, I thought, right. why can't you do that? But I thought, all right, well, you're, you're just a new one. I don't know when you're supposed to be able to do that. Yeah. But I kind of had a feeling that he wasn't picking this stuff up like he should be. And it turns out I was right. And then I had my daughter afterwards, and she was doing stuff, you know, right away that mm-hmm. Jackson could never do. And then it really drove it home. It was like, okay, yeah, he really had a delay in that area. So. Yeah, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. So now let me ask you, um, having these NICU experiences all your years now um, out of the NICU, and also, too, now with you guys and the work you've done with Hand to Hold, uh, what is some advice that you would give to, one, new NICU dads, mm-hmm. um, guys that are just coming in, let's say day one, week one, uh, what advice would you give to them? Mm. Well, first off, I don't envy anyone <laughs> in this situation. Um, it's the hardest thing you'll ever do, period. So gear up because it's going to be a grind um i was told it's going to be a roller coaster ride Mm -hmm. i hated hearing that (laughs) i just hated hearing that but it is true um you you take two steps forward you take a step back and for someone like me who you know and and as a and most guys most dads they want to fix things like let's let's move this forward let's fix this so you fix one thing and then something else breaks. Really hard to handle for someone like me. Um, trust, for advice, I would say trust your nurses. Be nice to your nurses. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> um, advocate for your child. Um, one of the things that, that we learned was the more you are involved in the NICU, the better off your child will be. And that I think that's been proven statistically. Um, but you you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease and that's true. If you're there and you're there, like I was three times a day and my wife was there when I wasn't there and and with me, we were there pretty much around the clock. Um, nurses knew that and they knew that they had to tend to our baby 
and and they knew that we were asking questions they were held accountable not that they wouldn't do their jobs anyway but it's just that extra little bit and and all that stuff adds up so advocate for your child talk to your doctor one of the things I'll, I'll say that we experienced in the NICU was we our doctor that was our primary doctor and there, I think there were nine doctors at the time that were on rotation our primary doctor was new in this group and he was from Houston and he was the outsider and he had a different way of doing things that I didn't know about until much later so he would implement a certain series of instructions and we would come back the next day and he's not there and it's all changed and then it would happen again and it would happen and I'm like what's going on here why do you keep changing things and so we when we finally got to the point where we could talk to more people there and we felt more comfortable you know just the simple advocating for your child we got him on a more routine uh, I guess uh, regimen and, and they weren't changing respirators they weren't mm -hmm. changing the oxygen levels and and whatever else so it's hard enough for these kids to to make it um, but it's harder when the kids are in the middle of a political battle between doctors <laughs> you know different yeah. different uh, methodologies mm -hmm. so we got that lined out um, and I would say that don't do what I did which was to be kind of self-centered in how I approached it it's so hard that you don't realize that you're going through this with somebody else hopefully uh, not everybody will be going through this with a significant other but um, you know whoever is in there with you is going through the same thing you are and don't underestimate how it's affecting them because what affects them may not affect you the same way and vice versa something that rolls off your back might be really uh, traumatic for your partner um, and uh, so I would say to talk to your wife and um, make sure that she's taking care of herself and make sure that you take care of yourself. Get sleep. Uh, eat right. Do some exercise. Try to get some routine in your life because if you don't, you're not going to be able to handle this grind. You think you can, but eventually you break down. Yeah. For me, I broke down... <clears throat> totally broke down the day that we got him home and I didn't even know it I was again in the shower standing there and out of nowhere I start bawling like the biggest cry I've ever had in my life and I didn't realize how much I was holding on to but eventually your body will say enough and uh, so that's the advice I would say is to be nice uh, be nice to everyone and um, be nice to yourself as well that's some great advice mm -hmm. Now let me ask you. Um, you know, I'm six out of the, six years out of the NICU. Do you have any advice for NICU dads that are already out and yeah, you know, are just living life now with everything that we carry around? Yeah. Um, if they haven't done any counseling, I would encourage them to do that. Even if it's not so-called necessary, it can't hurt you. Um, talk it through because I didn't realize, and I wasn't actively suppressing my feelings I just it just happened um, I didn't realize that maybe if I had talked about it a little bit more um, maybe I would have processed through some of this stuff and it wouldn't have been as difficult but when you when you the problem is you get home and now you are taking care of a NICU child who's fragile 
you're trying to keep them safe, keep the RSV away, keep the the people with their germs out of your house and from touching your baby. And um, you know, I didn't even want my when we drove him home. I didn't even want to take the highway. I want to take all back roads. I mean, it was it was every little aspect of his life. Okay. Well, on the counseling front, um, I would say to go ahead and talk to some support groups. Mm-hmm. Listen to podcasts like these. Um, the more information you get, the better. And feel free to talk to your wife uh, about it or your family members or whoever you feel comfortable with. It doesn't have to be a counselor, but talk about it. Um, but the, like I said, the hard part is you're in the moment of um, t- caring for your child and you know one day turns into the next and then you have another child, at least for me. Now we have two kids at home. And I thought that would just be twice as hard. Turns out it's exponentially harder than one <laughs> child. And you just get very, very busy, and life gets busy. And then it's preschool, and then it's kindergarten, and, you know, t-ball, and on and on. And you're just constantly round the clock living your life for your children, and you're not really looking at yourself too much. So just like you're in the NICU, you got to take care of yourself. Do it out of the NICU. Take care of yourself. Get your exercise. Eat right. Sleep right. And, um, you know, even if you don't think you have a problem, uh, which you may not, but there's something there. You don't go through the NICU unscathed. You just don't. It changes a person. And you're scarred. Um, it's not a bad scar. It's just a scar. You, you've been through a trauma. And that was explained to me is you've been traumatized. Don't deny that you've been traumatized. Um, so deal with it. And, uh. You know, not doing anything is not dealing with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think I could have said it better myself. I, for a moment there, I thought you were talking to me specifically. <laughs> well, like, we okay. all have, we have a similar <laughs> road there. You yeah. Know? Yeah. No, we definitely don't leave unscathed. And that's um, that's part of the reason why we're both here right now. Yeah. But um, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story and your insight. Certainly. And also... On a personal note, I want to thank you guys for everything that you're doing with Handhold and well, and everything that you do. But um, it's our pleasure. I'm glad we have the opportunity to help. And uh, I know that when we did this 20 years ago, there were no services like this available. And um, I just knew Kelly would do something with it because that's the type of person that she is. And as long as it's helping others, then we're happy to keep going with it. That works. That works. Well, thank you, Michael, and I want to thank you. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Once again, please take a look at the NICUdad.com. We continue to grow the list of resources we are bringing NICU dads. To my fellow NICU dads, good luck, and remember, you are not alone.